Welcome, everybody, to the final episode of the build-up stage of the Killaloo Music Festival podcast. As always, I am your host. My name is Carl Rower, and this is it. This is the final episode where I do a, a pre-recorded interview with an artist and talk about the music that will be heard in the festival. It's the last one of them um, before we get properly into the festival itself. Um, of course, this day next week will be the first concert of the festival, and we're all very, very excited to finally get going with that. Um, but before we do that, we do have one final interview for you guys to listen to. Um, of course, over the weekend itself, there will be a lot more shorter interviews, and amazingly, they'll all be in person, which is absolutely fantastic. I'm actually going to be able to talk to them face to face. But no, this is still the this is the last pre-recorded interview, and the one I've talked this week to two people, um, same interview, and these two people, their names are Owen Scanlon and Connor Prendeville, and they are both members of the choir core, and they're both the founding both founding members of the choir core, should I say? Um, so these guys, um, I managed to talk to you about the choir, about the pieces of music they're going to be talking, um, performing. Um, they're going to be performing on Friday in the 8pm concert. Both of their items will be heard then. Um, so, uh, I'd say we just get straight into it. Here is my interview with Owen Scanlon and Connor Prendeville. And here we are, the final interview of the Killaloo Music Festival podcast. And today I'm joined by Owen Scanlon and Connor Prendeville, who are members of the choir Core, who are going to be singing in this year's festival. Hi guys, how are you? Hey, how's it going? Good, you? I'm um, really well, thank you. Um, so, uh, you know, it's um, these sort of things, these choirs and these um, ensembles, they, they tend to sort of pop up here and there. And um, I'm interested to know how your one came about. How did Core actually start? You want to take it? <laughs> uh, sure. Yeah. Well, uh, no. It was it it was it was kind of interesting because uh, basically, so myself and Owen have sang in, in in various ensembles together throughout the throughout the years. We've known each other now for about about ten or yeah. so years, and uh, so we just kind of decided that it'd be cool to find a way to get back together and 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 uh, and put something together that we could do more kind of that we could drive ourselves um so that's where the idea for core kind of came up and um so it's it's kind of interesting so what this is is the core ensemble is what we we call the the, the choir is the core ensemble which is a indeterminate amount of of singers it's, it's really project by project basis we we, we um have a fairly we have a, a large enough net of, of singers that we, our pool of singers that we pull from depending on the project that's coming up uh yeah. and the core ensemble is kind of uh, the flagship ensemble of this thing that we call core which is this new initiative that we're kind of trying to set up to give new performance platforms to up-and-coming musicians uh and we just thought that one interesting thing to do with that would be to set up the core ensemble so so outside of the choir we're also trying to promote uh smaller um uh, like 
gigs with with like maybe solo musicians and stuff like that like uh owen and um emma um downs performed a concert last february in saint mary's uh and we're looking to do more and then COVID hit and sure nobody could do anything yeah. so uh but we're looking to do more stuff like that as well so but yeah but but like as i was saying that's kind of how it came about was was yeah. was just with a good group of musicians that we knew and we decided we wanted to try and do more with this group so yeah, yeah. i think it was kind of like the, there were a group of us who had studied together so like you know kind of in around them most of it was most of us were kind of based in cork at one time or another so it kind of grew out of once we all kind of like separated and we were out of that kind of like structured college environment, um, you know, we've, we kind of found instead of always kind of waiting for gigs to come up, we could kind of like create something um, that would allow us to kind of basically just perform when we wanted to. And we could start kind of like taking the initiative of kind of creating those performance opportunities for ourselves. So especially with kind of um, started off kind of separately, kind of me and Emma and then, Connor and Connor and Emma, I think we all kind of had separate conversations and then kind of it, it all kind of like just uh, coalesced around that. But yeah, I mean, really, that was it. It was just kind of like wanting to have a bit more of that autonomy, I suppose, of kind of wanting to create those performance opportunities. Hmm. That sounds absolutely fantastic. So um, obviously this last year has been a bit tough um, in terms of the music performing side of things. Um, so how does um, a choir manage to um, keep moving through that? I mean, I think choir has been one of the most hard hit things because obviously it's, it's, I mean, it's kind of ridiculous to say it, but it's, or it feels ridiculous or it sounds ridiculous to say it, but it's one of the most dangerous things in terms of COVID because you've got so many people um, singing and it's kind of, I think it's kind of correct if I'm wrong, but I think like singing has shown to kind of like spread, um, I suppose, the uh, droplets, I suppose. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Of saying it farther than just speaking so it's like an orchestra can kind of stay masked or kind of like you know distance and stuff but a choir by its nature has to listen to each other and it's it's singing and it's kind of like there's an inherent an inherent closeness to it so from that i think most choirs have gone to you know a kind of a virtual choir setups but for something like core it's kind of it's kind of been a break reading kind of like just trying to think of like you know kind of the things that we want to do when we come out of it because we're project based it's not like we kind of had a weekly rehearsal kind of thing that we could kind of keep going and go to that virtual or online um environment as easily or as much mm -hmm. yeah so. but uh, say, saying that though uh it has been great to see what a lot of people have been doing yep. over the last year to try and keep um to try and keep choirs going and all the online stuff that we've seen coming out and we've seen some concerts from like you know like some of the bigger uh, national ensembles like uh, like chamber choir ireland who have done like socially distanced concerts in uh, in the concert hall and uh, and most importantly i think like one for me anyway and, and i suppose probably for own as well but being that we studied in Cork for so long, to see the Cork Choral Fest come back this year after having to take last year off was phenomenal, yeah. and to see all the, the things that they had and all the online uh, choirs that they uh, that they had coming competing and stuff like that, it was really really cool to to see all the work that everybody was doing and how they'd managed to keep the music going when really we can't we can't hang out, so that's pretty tough for choirs, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can I completely understand. Um, if you don't mind me asking, how did each of you get into singing itself? Um, because I feel like you guys have clearly had a background of singing before you came into this choir. Yeah, um, I don't think I, I didn't have a choice. It's <laughs> 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 quite musically driven. My mother is a, a, a choir um, fanatic. Um, 
to put it mildly, I suppose, um, as, as I think people know kind of in the area, Maura Kiri. So she kind of, um, she had a few choirs, um, or she was in choirs, and then she kind of figured there was, she was um, kind of, she wanted, to, much like, I suppose, like core, she wanted to create opportunities for kids in the area to sing. So she created a cantat, and then when I grew up out of cantat, she wanted to create a youth choir. So that's that. So um, I think just, I was just immersed in that kind of choir um, atmosphere from a young age and then when I went to Cork um, School of Music there were just so many ensembles I think I think at one point I counted between Limerick and Cork I was in seven choirs for a oh, semester it only lasted I had to drop a couple after that. <laughs> understandable yeah um, and what about you Con? go on well uh, I came at a kind of a different route so so I went to um, I didn't study in CSM I studied in UCC and when I went there I thought that uh like I was big into playing in bands and stuff like that. And I was playing a lot of, uh, I used to play with um, a band. We'd play in pubs every weekend and that's how we'd make our money during college. And I thought I was going to be doing that stuff. But then um, I did a little bit of choir stuff. I did the Irish youth choir uh, when, um, God, I wish I had more of an appreciation for the music when I did it the first time. Cause we did the, the Brahms Requiem, which is just oh. unbelievable. And it was actually the time that, um, it was the time that the the Irish Youth Choir uh, joined with um, the Irish Youth Orchestra as well. So it was really it was a really really cool project. But but like I mean I, I enjoyed it. But you know whatever. And then I was just playing in a in a, in a group once when uh, one of the guys who was in it just said, "Here uh, I've a choir that's auditioning for um, for new singers. Why won't you come along and uh, and 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 give it a go?" And I was like, "Ah man, I don't know. Uh, it's not really my thing." Ah, it was, and he was like, "Ah." come on, just, would you just do it? Just come on. And I was like, oh, okay, fine, fine. I'll go along. And I was auditioning, um, as a, uh, as a, as a, as a baritone, uh, at the time. And, uh, so I went in anyway and I auditioned as a baritone and the conductor who is, is, is still a good friend of mine to, to today. And I always remind him of this cause it's very funny. He said, uh, he said to me, uh, um, yeah, but you're auditioning as a baritone. I don't need a baritone. Will you just be a tenor? And I was like, yeah, okay, cool. Yeah, sure, whatever. And now I sing as a tenor like it's my job. It's what I do. And if I hadn't gone to that audition, I don't know what I'd be doing now. So, But that's that's how I got into it anyway. <laughs> yeah, and that's a, that's a fantastic story. Um, so in the uh, the festival this year, you're going to be playing or performing two pieces. And they are the Bach Chacon version for choir and violin. And you're also going to be doing a selection of um, short songs by both Felix and Fanny Mendelssohn. Um, when it, when you guys as a choir see this kind of repertoire, um, what are the thoughts that comes into your head? How do, how do you um, how would you prepare for this sort of thing? And what is um, an important factor th- important factors to think about when you're doing that? Hmm. Uh, oh, and do you want to take the Bach and I'll take the the, the Mendelssohn? Um, yeah, I mean, I think um, with the Bach, for, I think it's maybe slightly different for, so I, I'd consider myself probably an instrumentalist first, because uh, I suppose I'm a pianist. Um, that's what my, my main background is, I guess. So for me, and my familiarity, I would get to know the violin line, um, because um, hearing the chicane, the, the violin line, the string, the violin line is so complex. Um, and the choir kind of just like just creates these kind of um, just has these entries and it's very sustained and kind of like creates this amazing mood but I think the most important thing in that is to is you just have to know the violin line so well that you can kind of just come in without really kind of counting or trying to follow the score you need to know what the violin is going to do and have that 
and to have the uh, I suppose that um, familiarity with it that the, the string player can do what they want to do and it won't kind of throw the choir off you know it can't be metronomic and this kind of music is so um, so expressive and it's such a beautiful violin piece that you you do have to know it to be able to um, I suppose yeah just kind of go with the fluidity of it I guess mm -hmm. that's on, on first on first first look that's kind of like what struck me and the and the with the Bach obviously it's like okay I have to know the violin line or we all have to know the violin line you know yeah absolutely and Connor talks talk to us about the um the Mendelssohn's should I say the two Mendelssohn's well the Mendelssohn's are quite interesting I think because it's 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 often a section of choral music that kind of gets overlooked because um a lot of the time you'll find with 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 choirs today that they do like contemporary work and early music like that seems to be a lot of choirs niches and when they're doing the romantic stuff it's often the big um the work. bigger works like 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 i mentioned the brahms requiem earlier on or uh the verdi requiem or like any of these big things you know like that sends from from this era it generally tends to be that sort of stuff or Mendelssohn's Elijah or something like that, you know. Um, but but this stuff, it like it's really cool. For me, it's all it's all text driven. It, it like everything has to come from the text. It's uh, like I mean, they're, they're they're setting poetry by what are seen to be some of the greatest European um, uh, poets. Um, what's his name? Um, Eichendorf is the the poet of um, that three of the, the the pieces we're singing are set uh, are settings of his his work. Uh, he's up there with the big guys like uh, Hense and and um, and Hoffman. Uh, so so like it's really cool to be singing that stuff. And it's very interesting because um, like when you look at a lot of this stuff, it seems like they're just singing about a flower. You know, it's just they keep writing about flowers and nature. And but like if you think about the time that they were writing it in uh like this stuff was all kind of based like coming out around the same time as the industrial revolution and uh and and these guys were were were, were trying to say that you know we're losing our touch with nature and 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 we're putting our our um our hopes and our dreams into you know these more industrial things which possibly isn't like it is good to advance society all that blah 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 but it's possibly not the best thing to which i think for today still has a very relevant message in um you know a lot of the struggles that the today's world is 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 facing uh with things like global warming and all that that crack so i mean i do think that this stuff is still very relevant and also it's cool because they talk about elves and stuff like that so that's also fun <laughs> so you know i mean you got everything there man you got your political stuff but you've also got elves i love it yeah that, what a fantastic text, combination text, text yeah text. <laughs> um would it be um too difficult a question to ask you which would be your favorite of the two I already know Owen's answer. <laughs> it's just so cool. And like having, having played Bach myself and kind of like, it's like, cause I, I played a lot of early music in college and stuff. So I would have played quite a bit of Bach and it is, it's just amazing to kind of be able to blend those two things. Cause having played him as an instrumentalist and, and, and sung his choral works, like his cantatas and stuff. Um, it's really cool to see something like this being done with like, you know, kind of like the, a solo piece with a choir added onto it later. Um, which I know is a, a tricky thing to do, and it's kind of like it's it's a uh, you know arguably risky sometimes because you it's something as kind of sacrosanct as Bach you don't want to kind of like mess it up. Um, but I know people have done it with a few things like the Immortal Bach with um, uh, the chorale and stuff. So it's um, I just think it's an amazing piece of music, and the the violin part is amazing, and then the choral part underneath doesn't interfere with it; it just adds to it in that kind of gentle way, which is really cool. 
Um, yeah, I mean, like I, you know, it's it's pretty. It's pretty tough to not say the Bach because the Bach is is it's it's absolutely incredible. Uh, it's and it's a really cool take on it. And I love that, like as Owen was saying, I love that somebody did have the guts to mess with mm. Bach, somebody who is as 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 um, sacred as as as, as Bach. Uh, but just to be different, I'm going to say. Um, <laughs> Morgan Gebite, which is one of the the Mendelssohns that we're we're singing, uh, which is just it's gorgeous and it's about um, you know just finding a place where you can let go of the the worries of the world and just being able to it's almost just like you know going off and recharging the batteries and again as as everything else as I was saying everything is it's all about nature so for this guy he's off having a walk in a forest and he's just you know finding a way to relax and get rid of all the worries of the world and uh, there's just something about it that uh, just the way that the harmonies mesh is because it's a little bit classier than some of the other stuff which is quite homophonic and, and, and tonal a lot of the time so this one's a little bit classier and it also mixes up a bit uh, it throws in a bit of unison stuff as well inside there as well which is a nice change from from the other things and it's just very pretty I suppose it's really nice <laughs> <laughs> absolutely look guys thanks so much for taking the time to talk to me and um, we really look forward to seeing both of your performances Cool. Thanks for Cheers, show. man. Thanks very much for having us on. And there you have it, Owen Scanlon and Connor Prendeville on the choir core, and also the Bachshakan version for choir and violin, and the Felix and Fanny Mendelssohn selection of songs. If you want to learn more about those pieces of music, I've spoken about them already. Um, you can find the Bach on episode one of this season, and you can find um, the Mendelssohn on episode two of this season. So go and check them out if you want to listen um, learn more about these wonderful pieces that the choir will be performing. So now, the f well, there's only one piece that I have yet to talk about in the festival this year, um, and that is the Schubert Octet, um, the festival finale, the last thing that will be played in this year's Killaloo Music Festival. Um, so I'm just going to get straight into it. I'm going to talk a bit about the Schubert Octet, con historical context, the music itself, and of course, you'll hear little clips of music throughout as well. So anyway, here we go. Schubert Octet. <laughs>
One of the most interesting things that I learned while researching um, this piece was how closely connected it is to the Beethoven Septet. Um, the, um, the Schubert Octet itself was commissioned by a renowned clarinetist, Count Ferdinand Troyer, an amateur clarinetist, and he asked Schubert, we don't know his exact words, but we think it went something like this, I want you to write a piece of music that is similar to the Beethoven Septet. Um, this was sort of um, March 1824, that's when Schubert began work on it. Um, and, I mean, you know, talk about similar to Beethoven's Septet. Schubert really did take that advice to heart and made it very similar, like very, very similar to the Beethoven Septet. Um, of course, the Schubert is an octet, and Beethoven's is a septet, seven people versus eight people. So Schubert added a second violin. Beethoven's septet is for violin, viola, cello, bass, horn, clarinet, and bassoon. And Schubert very simply added a second violin. So then two violins, viola, cello, bass, horn, clarinet, and bassoon. That is the Schubert octet. The septet itself had been a massive success. And so I, I believe Troyer's thoughts was that if that was a success, surely Schubert's would also be a success. Um, funnily enough, Beethoven himself didn't actually like the fact that his piece was successful. He didn't like that his septet had grow, um, gotten so much recognition. Um, and apparently, after he heard the England performance had gone so very well, he muttered under his breath, it should be burned. Uh, so there you go, that's Beethoven for you. Um, but yeah, Schubert took um, his this brief of a piece similar to Beethoven's septet very, very seriously. He even um, copied the format, in that the Beethoven septet is six movements long, and so is the Schubert octet. Six movements long, and um, also in the way that the, the adagios and the allegros come in at different times, that was um, very much copied from Beethoven's septet too. I, I would think Beethoven was a very key inspiration to Schubert. Um, and interestingly, they were they both lived in Vienna um, around the same time, um, but it's thought that they never actually met, or at least they might have crossed paths, but they never properly met. Um, I think it's quite funny, two very key musicians, um, same place, but no. Um, they never properly met. So, but Beethoven was a massive inspiration to Schubert, so that most likely would have helped a lot. The octet was first performed in the house of Archduke Rudolf, um, or as I now call him, the Troyer employer, um, because he was the employer of Ferdinand Troyer, the guy who had commissioned the piece. Um, Archduke Rudolf is also the person who the Archduke Trio, Archduke Trio is... Um, dedicated to if you guys know beethoven's piano trio the archduke trio this is for archduke rudolph as well schubert was in pain in like desperate pain when he was writing his octet um he wrote to a friend i feel myself the most unhappy and wretched creature in the world imagine a man whose health will never be right again and who in sheer despair over this makes things worse and worse instead of better he was he was properly down. Um, he was coming towards the end of his life as well. He was in pain. In quite a lot of pain. Um, but, on the upside, um, his octet put him in a lot of good moods. Um, and in fact, a good friend of his, um, a painter called Moritz von Schwind, wrote that Schubert has now long been working as an octet with the greatest enthusiasm. If you go and see him during the day, he says, Hello, how are you? And then carries on working, whereupon you leave. Um, I guess just basically leave me alone. I'm trying to work on this octet. 
he was dedicated to it and he i think he really enjoyed this brief and um i get the feeling that it was one of his his favorite pieces to write as well um one of the running themes of the octet um is the idea of moving from the bad to the good um the slow to the fast the sad to the happy and then also vice versa the good to bad the fast to slow and the happy to sad um and i think this was this very much reflected schubert's mood at the time he was a as I already mentioned, he was in pain, but with this octet, it was putting him in good spirits. So he was kind of going back and forth a lot. Um, and he even wrote, When I attempted to, attempted to sing of love, it turned to sorrow. And when I tried to sing of sorrow, it turned to love. Which is, I think that's perfect. Perfect words for this idea of bad to good, slow to fast, sad to happy, and vice versa again. The piece is 60 minutes long, and that is, you know, it's long. It's a long piece. It's an hour long six movements as i mentioned already um these are all they're all very different from each other it has to be said they're all very very different um it goes adagio allegro più allegro that's the first movement then we have an adagio a really beautiful solemn adagio it's absolutely out of this world then we have the allegro vivace uh, vivace trio allegro vivace that's the third movement then we have a theme and variations uh, which is once again very similar to Beethoven's septet, who at this point also included uh, theme and variations. Then we have an un poco più mosso più lento, menuetto, allegretto trio menuetto coda, and then the last movement, um, andante molto allegro, andante molto allegro molto. Um, I have to say, I think out of all of them, the last movement is my favourite. Um, and I think the reason is just the moods that he has in them. It's I think like this is where the idea of bad to good, slow to fast, sad to happy, etc., um, becomes the most evident because the whole thing, the whole movement starts with a huge amount of tremolo um, on the strings, which is basically moving the bow back and forth to create a kind of a stormy effect. And this, um, it just it sets the mood so clearly. It's very angsty. We don't quite know what's going to happen next, and then it just turns into a lovely little march. Sorry, a lovely march in F major. Um, so. Uh, so that, uh, that this is my favourite movement, for that reason, for the way that his moods are so very precise and clear at this point. The first performance, um, and as I said, the um, the Archduke Rudolf's house, um, was, was a success and it also wasn't a success. As um, I mentioned, it is 60 minutes long, um, and unfortunately a lot of people did um, walk out, because they were, I suppose, intimidated by its length. It is a long piece. Um, however, he also received a lot of really excellent reviews. Um, he um, and most notably, he got them from the Vienna Allgemeine Theaterzeitung, um, basically the Vienna um, Theater newspaper, and um, they called it a friendly, agreeable, and interesting piece worthy of the composer's well-known talents. Um, I'd say shit, that would have made Schubert very happy. Um, as I said, he was in pain. That would have put him in a good mood for him to write a good mood piece. Um, notable moments of the piece, um, for example, in the first movement, um, where you have the dum, 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 This is kind of a theme derived from another song by Schubert, um, entitled "The Wanderer." Um, the fourth movement, the theme and variations movement, um, the theme itself comes from um, a Singspiel, basically um, an opera, entitled "Die Freunde von Salamanca" or "The Friends of Salamanca," once again by Schubert. Um, and the sixth movement, which I've talked about at length already, is um, fr um, 
another song of Schubert's. He wrote, he, he really quoted himself quite a bit in this piece. Um, and it's The Gods of Greece. Um, and this is a, um, a poem that was set to music by Schubert. And the poem goes like this. Fair world, where are you? Return again, sweet springtime of nature. Alas, only in the magic land of song does your fabled memory live on. As far as I'm concerned, this would have been Schubert's prayer. His um, This is what he would have worshipped. It's what would have spoke to, spoken to him the most. Because um, for those of you who know Schubert, he, he'd be best known really for his songs. His pieces for voice and piano. Sometimes just voice and sometimes just piano as well. Um, he wrote a lot. He wrote a colossal amount of songs. And the idea, I'd say the, these words would have really spoken to him a lot the fact that the magic land of song is where the fabled memory of nature comes in as schubert was a great man for the nature he loved all things natural he loved beauty he loved all of these things um so the idea that this is all within the whole dimension of songs i think that would have really appealed to him a lot um and this is why he wrote the gods of greece this song and then this is why he probably also included it in his octet so there we have it, the Schubert Octet. So there it is. That's the end of the episode. Um, just quickly, apologies just there. Um, as I was talking, you can't really see me when I do a podcast, but I was gesticulating quite a bit while I was speaking, and I accidentally hit against my wall, which caught, um, which was caught on the microphone. So I'm sorry about that, about that bang. Hopefully that didn't annoy anybody. Um, so anyway, yeah, this is the f- um, this is the end of the episode. Thank you all for listening. First of all, before I go. I just would like to run through the festival program. I've t- spoken about all the pieces now. Um, so, here we go. On Friday, which is this day next week, on Friday at 8pm, that's the evening concert, you'll have the Bach Chacon, which is the version for violin and choir, Catherine Hunke playing the violin, sung by the choir, core, not to be missed. Then we have Felix and Fanny Mendelssohn, a selection of song- songs sung by core. And what um, Catherine Hunker has done here, as has been explained before, is she's mixed them up um, so that we can't actually tell which is which unless we look at the program. And I think that's really quite interesting. And the concert, the 8pm concert, finishes with the performance of Mozart's clarinet quintet with Carol McGonnell on clarinet, joined by Diane Daly and Shun Milne on violin, Joachim Röwe on viola and Christopher Ellis on cello. Then on Friday, the late night concert at 10 p.m., we have Bach's Cello Suite Number no. 1 in G major with Christopher Ellis on cello, fam- finished up by Isai's Violin Sonata Number no. 2 with this wonderful um, interpretation um, by Diane Daly with lots of movement and lots of wonderful effects, which is ap- going to be absolutely wonderful. 
These are both live streams, by the way. You'll be able to access them if you get your free pass for the festival. On Saturday at 11am, we have the Rising Star concert featuring Zoe Nagel on cello and Clara Ziegel on piano. And they'll be performing a selection of works such as Bach's Cello Suite No. 3 in C major, Brahms's Cello Sonata No. 1 in E minor, and the March and New Variations on the theme of Rossini. Then we have the 8pm evening concert, Felix Mendelssohn, Songs Without Words, absolutely beautiful, and in this case it's the one for cello and piano. This will be Christopher Ellis and Finian Collins on piano. Then we'll have the new piece, the festival premiere of For the Atoll, composed by both Jane and Malachi Robinson, cousins at work, absolutely fantastic. And they'll be performed by the Far Flung Trio. The Far Flung Trio consists of Catherine Honka on violin, Dermot Dunn on accordion, and Malachi Robinson on double bass. The poet is Jane Robinson. And that concert finishes with the fantastic Don Dochnani Sextet in C major, with Catherine Honka on violin, Joachim Röver viola, Christopher Ellis on cello, Carol McGonnell on clarinet, Finine Collins on piano, and Hannah Miller on the French horn. The late night concert on Saturday will be at 10pm, and this will have Zoe Conway, and her husband John McIntyre, fiddle and guitar, joined by a couple of festival musicians, and they'll be performing just a selection of their pieces. On the last day of the festival, that's Sunday the 6th of June, we have at 1pm the lunchtime concert, um, a selection of Robert Schumann for you, quite a bit of Schumann. We have, first of all, Schumann's Adagio and Allegro for horn and piano, with Hannah Miller on horn and Philine Collins on piano. Then we'll have Finine's selection of Songs Without Words by Mendelssohn, and then we'll have Robert Schumann's Fantasiestücke with Carol McGonnell playing the clarinet and Finine Collins on the piano. At 3pm that day, we have the children's concert in which I'll be taking part. Um, it'll be just a, a couple of recordings um, from some young musicians and it'll be pieced together in a wonderful way and you're all very welcome to join us for that. The festival finale will take place at 8pm on Sunday the 6th of June um, and this will be, as mentioned before, the Schubert Octet. Um, festival finale, all eight people. We have Catherine Hunka and Diane Daly playing the violin, Joachim Röver on viola, Christopher Ellis on cello, Malachi Robinson on double bass, and then the winds, Carol McGonnell on clarinet, John Hearn on bassoon, and Hannah Miller on the French horn. Don't forget that if you have a free festival pass, you'll be able to visit, um, see everything. And that's right, all the concerts this year are going to be completely free of charge. You are, of course, encouraged to make a donation, which you can do via the website, which is killaloomusicfestival.com. Other than that, go and check out our social media. That's Instagram, which is Killaloo Music Festival, um, Facebook, Killaloo Chamber Music Festival, and Twitter, Killaloo F. As well as that, in the podcast description, you'll find a playlist, a Spotify playlist of all the pieces of music, which I've just mentioned, that will be played in the festival, and you can go and check that out. Give it a follow, listen to it, enjoy it, and be ready for when the festival commences on Friday the 4th of June. Until then, all the best. I will see you then. Thank you. Goodbye. <laughs>